Well, thanks, Aaron Newt, for that. Outstanding. Outstanding. Let's open to Colossians chapter 2 this morning. in Sunday school this morning, this is going to sound like it's a conspiracy, uh, that we're on the same topic. It just providentially works out that way. In Colossians chapter 2, look at verses 1 through 7. Really, we're going to look at verse 1, then we're going to look at verses 6 and 7. Um, and uh, it's not that the, the middle stuff isn't good, but we only have so much time. Okay, We only have so much time. So if you're able, would you please stand as I read the word of God? Heavenly Father, we grant that you would send your, we ask that you would grant your spirit to come. Give us understanding of your word, that he may fill us, empower us to walk in a manner worthy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For it is in his name we pray. Amen. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. For I want you to know... How great a struggle I have on your behalf, and for those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." I say this in order that no one may delude you with persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude." This is God's inspired word for us today. Please be seated. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf. This is Paul's, remember he's he's not seen this church. He has not seen them face to face as he mentions there, not personally seen my face. He is writing from uh, a a question or a a suggestion from Epaphras who planted this church. And he says, we're facing some issues. Won't you write a letter and have encouragement and correction? And Paul writes this letter. And Paul, as we have seen before, just gives his all for the church. Not the I that live, that Christ that lives within me. He says, To live is Christ. To die is gain. This is who Paul was. And we have seen this throughout history. Many, many people willing to give their lives for the cause of Christ, for the cause of something greater than themselves. I turn today, since this is the 4th of July weekend, to some examples, both in this nation, in the church, and in sacrifice in general. I look at those people who signed the Declaration of Independence. Fifty-six individuals who, upon signing that document, signed their own death warrant, according to the king. 
in England. They were committing treason simply by putting their names on that document. We know many of them. I'm going to give you just a touch of history on a few of them. Now, Ben Franklin was probably the oldest man. Eighteen of those signers were under 43, were in their 20s. Almost half were judges and lawyers. Eleven were merchants. Nine were landowners, farmers. The remaining 12 were doctors, ministers, and simply politicians. With few exceptions, they were men of substantial property and wealth. They had much to lose by signing on that document. The vast majority were men of education, well-known in their communities and well thought of. They had economic security that rated higher than your average individual in the 18th century. Most had families. Only two were single. A couple examples. Francis Lewis from the New York delegation saw his home plundered, his estates, which are now in Harlem, completely destroyed by British soldiers. Mrs. Lewis was captured by the British, held prisoner, and tortured for quite some time. Upon release, after a bargain with the Congress and the British, she was never the same and died as a result of her abuse. William Floyd, another signer and from New York, was able to escape with his wife and children from Long Island into Connecticut, where he lived for seven years without any discernible income or support. He was a refugee. When they had a chance to return to his home, they found that it had been burned and was ruined. Philip Livingston had all his holdings in New York confiscated. He died in 1778, still serving the Congress in the cause of freedom. Leo Lewis Morris was another New York delegate, saw all of his timber, his crops, and his livestock taken. For seven years, he was barred from seeing his home, his property, or his family. John Hart of Trenton, New Jersey, risked his life to return to see his dying wife. But the Hessian soldiers had his house surrounded, and he was uh, barred from that. He went and lived in caves in the forest for uh, quite some time. When he finally was able to get to his house, he was near starvation. But by then, his wife had died and been buried. He never saw his 13 children again after that. Dr. John Witherspoon, one of the ministers that signed the Declaration of Independence, uh, was uh, president of a college in New Jersey called Princeton, and the English came and burned the library, the finest library in the country at that time at Princeton. Richard Stockton, who was a judge, another Jersey delegate, rushed back to his estate in an effort to evacuate his wife and children. The family found refuge with friends, but Tory sympathizers turned him in, and he was arrested, thrown into jail, deliberately starved, but his health was ruined once he was released and was never the same. Robert Morris was a merchant in Philadelphia, lost 150 ships and cargo vessels for the cause of freedom in this country. George Clymer from Pennsylvania escaped with his wife and family from their home, but their property was completely destroyed in the Germantown and Brandywine areas around Philadelphia. John Martin was a Tory previously to signing the Declaration of Independence and lived in a loyalist Pennsylvania area. When he came out for independence, his family and friends all turned against him and turned him in. He was forever a broken man after that. He died in 1777, and his last words were to his tormentors, 
Tell them that they will live to see the hour when they shall acknowledge that the signing to have been the most glorious service that I have ever rendered to my country. John Hancock, the most wealthiest, or the wealthiest individual who signed, as we know, he signed in large letters. At that point, he already had a 500-pound bounty on his head. He wanted to make sure that the king would be able to see his name without having to put his glasses on and perhaps add another 500 pounds to the bounty on his head. Benjamin Franklin noted, Indeed, we must all hang together, otherwise we shall most assuredly hang separately. These were men who gave all for a cause, and they had a lot to lose, but they were willing to lose it because of what the future held. Now, this is one evidence of sacrifice. The sacrifice of Christians throughout history are simply too numerous to mention. We think in recorded history, some 70 million plus in the last 2,000 years, Christians have been martyred for their faith. 45 million, that's 65%, were in the 20th century. So 45 million Christians were martyred in the 20th century, most of those in countries run by communists or Muslims. For soldiers, it's not out of the ordinary to give their lives for what they think is important and for their country and for their comrades. In the movie Saving Private Ryan, which is loosely based on the story of the Nillen brothers in World War II, one of the final scenes, Tom Hanks, who is playing Captain Miller, and there's carnage everywhere and soldiers are dying and and he grabs onto Ryan and he says, earn this, earn it, live in a manner worthy, excuse me, live in a manner worthy of the sacrifice that has been given for you. This is what Paul says that we should do. Live in a manner worthy of the sacrifice that has been given for us. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Not just a soldier or a group of soldiers who would give their lives that we might live in freedom. Or people who would give their property and perhaps their lives that this country may be formed. Or other believers who have given their lives to stand firm for faith. But it is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the Son of God, has given his life for us that we may walk in him. Walk in a manner worthy of the sacrifice that has been given for you. Verses 6 and 7 of Colossians chapter 2. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. These two verses really summarize the entire book. And in every chapter, we see this theme rise again and again, walk in a manner worthy. This is what Christ has done. Now pattern your life in a fashion that will serve him. Pattern your life in a fashion that will declare his glories. Now, we are dealing with people, or Paul's dealing with people here who had come under the influence of false teachers, and he wants them to understand that you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. This was made clear to you. Do not move away from it, but live in the same manner, in the same fashion, as you, as you did when you believed. When you committed all that you were to Christ, now commit all that you are in every step of every day 
of every life. Worthy. And we understand that walking here, walk in him, this is not simply to tread, but this is to live, to walk in a manner, to live a life that is pleasing to him. Jesus, Paul lists him as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. He could have just said Jesus, he could have said the Lord, he could have said Christ Jesus, but he uses all three. Christ, the word is for Messiah, the one who came to give his life for us, to die on the cross. Jesus reminds us of God, the Savior, who came to rescue his people, and Lord, the one to whom we are to live in submission. All these things are wrapped up in this name, Christ Jesus the Lord. Live in a way that is consistent with your first confession of faith. Many of us remember that day when we confessed Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Perhaps for you it was one of those days where the lightning bolt hit you and you were never the same. You thought you'd never be the same, but that's gone by and now you're walking in a manner that's less worthy as that day. As you knew that you were going this way and you were hopeless, but yet Christ came and he gave you life and now you're walking in a new path. He says, walk this path, however long ago this happened, walk this path in the same manner that you came to Christ on that day. With the same love, with the same devotion, with the same passion. Walk worthy of the sacrifice of Christ. Like Captain Miller to Ryan, earn this. Not that we have to earn salvation, but look what has happened for us. Now demonstrate that life. Every day. Because receiving Christ is not the end. Remember, receiving Christ is the beginning. If you've ever been to a graduation, we don't call it graduation. What do we call it? Commencement. Okay? Because it's not the end. It's the beginning. You're commencing life. Now that you have finished this, you're moving on to something else. Commencement in the sense of you have come to Christ. And that is not it. Although some people think it is. In fact, brother, probably friends that we have, maybe family members who profess Christ and said, I'm glad that's over. Now I can go back and live however I want. That's not what Scripture says. Scripture says this is the beginning. You are now a new creation. Go walk in a manner worthy of that day. Walk in a manner worthy of that sacrifice that Christ made for you, that you might be made new in him. So often we read in Scripture, especially in the New American Standard translation here, it says, in Christ, in Christ. What's it mean to be in Christ? When you're walking in him, you know what it means to be in Christ, to be so saturated with the things of him, to be so filled with the word of God that you know his will. I try to think of it as if I was in a swimming pool. I was in the deep end, and I'm there suspended in water, and the water's above and behind and below and all around me, and I'm not touching anything else except the water. That's what it means to be in Christ, to be so surrounded with the things of Christ. Have your mind so filled with the word that it simply flows from you. So Paul wants us to remember our profession only started it. We think of those who stayed it there, right? who professed faith and never moved on. Fortunately, my list of friends is quite long, those that I've seen over the years, who professed faith, who looked like they were jazzed about it, but then just stayed there, never moving on, 
never demonstrating a worthy life in, in, in the way that they walked, in the way that they lived. Perhaps they were one of the first three types of ground in the parable of the sower. You know, hard ground where it just sat there and never rooted. Another one where it got a little bit of root. And then another one where the weeds choked it out. Maybe perhaps they're just lying dormant. I don't know. And the Lord will come and move in their life at some point. Verse 7 describes how it is and why it is. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith. You'll notice that these are not commands. Paul does not say, be firmly rooted, be built up, and be established. Okay, those are not imperatives. He's not commanding us to do that. Those are participles. Okay, they're simply descriptive terms. If you have been made a new creation in Christ, then you will be established. You will be rooted. You will be growing in Christ. That you can't have a changed life, a changed heart, be made a new creation, and then be the same. Those are uh, oxymoronic. I don't know. Whatever word you want to use. You can't be new and then go be the same. If you are new, you will be different. And you will walk in a manner worthy. And that means to grow in Christ. Our strength does not come from us in this growth. It comes from Christ. But there is that strange mix between our efforts and the efforts of the Holy Spirit. When does the Spirit empower us? And when is it my effort to be obedient? Those things go hand in hand. You just can't have, say, okay, Lord, when you're ready, I'll be mature. No. You've got to do your own homework. You've got to study the Word. You've got to do those things. When it comes time to a, where you're face-to-face with difficult issues, you've got to decide for Christ. He gives you the power. The question is, do we have the will to walk in that fashion? Charles Spurgeon wrote, Men, to be truly one to Christ, must be truly one to truth. Christ is not an abstract. Christ is not something that is simply out there, nebulous. I hear about it, and and yeah, I want to believe. No, there is truth. It is clear in the word. And that is what we are to be one to as well. Christ changes our lives. Now, here is the truth in which we grow and are built up. We must know the truth. Therefore, we're going to have a little test. Don't answer out loud. How would you answer the following questions? Did Jesus ever sin? Was Jesus resurrected? Do all religions teach the same basic ideas? According to George Barna and Mark Hatch, wrote a book together called The Boiling Point, they went out and surveyed. If you know anything about George Barna, he does a lot of surveys through the church. Uh, and for on Christian things, and surveyed professing Christians. Now, in Sunday school, we talked about professing Christians, so I don't know what category professing Christians came or falls into. How professing were they? I don't know. They professed faith in Jesus Christ. He surveyed professing believers. One-fourth, 25%, said Jesus committed sins. One-third said he did not rise from the dead. 
one-third said all religions are basically the same. This is one of the problems we face in the church. People might be one to Christ, but they're not yet one to the truth. They don't understand that this is true. If it says Christ rose bodily from the dead, then he rose bodily from the dead. Not a spiritual resurrection. If it says Christ lived a perfect, sinless life, what does that mean? It doesn't mean, well, I'm just not sure if, if he was sinless. I mean, there's a lot of time in there that's not recorded. You know, did he, you know, beat up his little brother once? Wouldn't that be a sin? Well, we all want to beat up our little brothers or our bigger brothers, okay? No, it means he never sinned. He was the perfect, spotless lamb of God. It reveals a great lack of understanding of what Scripture says within the church. And these, these, do they answer, do, do I have to give you the answers? Uh, I think we're safe, okay? Do all religions teach the same basic thing? Now, some people may get twisted on that one and say, well, they teach something. No. Christianity teaches. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through him. Okay? That is an exclusive teaching. There are not many ways to heaven. There is only one way, and that is through Jesus Christ. Paul sums it up here about being rooted as if you've already been rooted. Okay? When we talk about rooted, we have to go to Psalm chapter 1. If you want to turn there with me, I'll read a portion of that. Rooted. Redwoods, sequoias, those big trees you know, that live for four or five hundred years, that grow huge. We love to cut down and make deck furniture out of. Okay, make porches out of, we don't do that anymore. But those things, they grow in clumps because their roots get tied together. They hold one another up in that fashion. You find this beautiful willow tree. Where do you find willow trees? Typically by the water. Typically by the water. Why? Psalm 1 tells us. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. To be rooted means to be planted in the word, for there it is that we get our nutrition. How can I walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? You've got to have your nutrition. Go three days and don't eat. Tell me how you feel. Oh, you feel nasty. Okay, your head hurts. You just feel like you want to lay around and you don't have any energy. How's your spiritual nourishment? Can you go three days without being in the Word? Do you feel different then? Differently? Oh, you should. Something's missing. It may start with just something's missing. That's enough to spark that you know you need to be in the Word. Okay? Because only there... Can we receive the nourishment that we can walk in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ? Earn it. Don't earn your way to heaven. But earn that life that Christ has died for so that you may have. Let's pray. Lord, what great examples we have of those who have sacrificed for us both for the things of this world, for political gain and political causes and for freedom. 
but also, Lord, for those within the church who have given their lives in the cause of Christ, unashamedly, whether it's been being burned at the stake, being stoned, being killed in camps, just because they wanted to present the word, because they wanted to preach it and live it. Then we look at Christ. Christ who has given all, left the right hand of the Father and took on the form of a man and gave his life for us. And now he says, look what has been done. Now walk worthy of this. Lord, lay before us what that means. To be rooted in the word. To have our minds focused on the word. So that it pours out from us in our decision making. It pours out from us in the way that we interact with people. It pours out from us in our acts of compassion. That the manner of our life would be pleasing to you and would be a demonstration of the love that you have placed in our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. 454. Let's stand as we sing, trust and obey.